Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast that provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Harlan Piggott, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. I have two absolutely incredible guests, uh, difference makers in the insurance industry. We are going to focus solely on health insurance today, but what you're going to understand at the end of the day is that health insurance is not the answer. The answer is alternative funded programs. We're going to talk about that. We're going to dig deep into that today, and I hope that you guys will listen in. You'll have a better understanding at the end of the day what this is really all about. Uh, I talk about this quite often, but today we have some true experts out there that have been in this and working towards this for a number of years, all the way from the broker level to the legislative level, uh, bringing in ideas, concepts to make things different, to make actual access to healthcare a reality. And we're not talking about just any healthcare, folks. We're talking about quality healthcare. Quality healthcare without outstanding outcomes with quality doctors. That makes a huge difference because today's health insurance plans do not offer those things in a very easy to access way. In fact, most times it's just the opposite. You have no idea what that roulette wheel of finding a provider will be like. Uh, whenever we have one of our guests on, on here in just a couple minutes, she's going to tell you about how they actually decide which doctors you get to see when you go through the network. But I am very, very excited to have Nelson Griswold, the Managing Director of NextGen Benefits, and Deborah Alt, lovingly known as Nurse Deb in the industry, the president of Alt International Medical Management with us today. Uh, first of all, Nurse Deb, welcome aboard. Well, thank you so much for having me, Harlan. It is an absolute honor and pleasure for you to be with us. And I can't wait for you to share some of the, the things that you've seen over the, the years. Um, you come from a very unique background, and so I want folks to understand a little bit about uh, your background, too, so they can understand why you have such a focus uh, on helping folks that you do today. Our other guest, Nelson Griswold, the Managing Director of NextGen Benefits. He has been in this industry for a number of years. He is a pioneer in working with alternative funding in a very unique way. Nelson, welcome aboard, buddy. Harlan, it is a pleasure to be with you on the air. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know that it is not easy to dedicate an hour of your time to do this because you've got so many irons in the fire and you're so busy helping other folks. But I know that you both appreciate the fact that in Speaking in a forum like this, we have the opportunity to reach many people that may not otherwise hear this message. So I really want to thank you all very much for taking the time to do this. 
Uh, first of all, Nurse Deb, tell folks a little bit about your background because it's very unique. Absolutely. So I am a registered nurse. Um, prior to founding AIM, I worked at the bedside in the ER ICU critical care environment. I paid my way through nursing school um, by being a part of the Army National Guard and was a drill sergeant for a, a short stint when I was in the Army Guard. So um, definitely an interesting background for sure. And sometimes that comes through. I was going to say, you don't want to make your listeners cry by having me tell them all the stuff that I have seen and heard in healthcare in America, for sure. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, and we're certainly here to bring a solution that people can um, use to their advantage and their benefit, and to help people understand the business of healthcare. After nursing, I got my MBA, uh, Master's in Business, with a minor in Math and Statistics, so marrying together that clinical and financial piece that's the hard part, especially for patients. And uh, we're here to help them, you know, get healthy and do it without going bankrupt. So a little bit about what you learned in the bedside, because I'm sure before you ever started uh, Alt International Medical Management, you saw the actual mismanagement of it through the carriers, as it were, different insurances as you were on the bedside and, and seeing what the patient was going through in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and for anybody who wants to do a deep dive, Healthcare Insights magazine um, actually did a feature on myself and my husband, who is my business partner. And uh, our origin story is there. But it really the light bulb moment for me, Harlan, we had a horribly critically ill patient that we simply should not have had in our facility. Our facility was not equipped in any way, shape, or form to give that patient the, the level and intensity and um, appropriateness of care that he needed. And um, I, I fought through that battle as his bedside nurse. That patient ended up um, passing away. And my nurse manager said to me, and I will never forget this, I was lamenting about why did we not transfer him? Why did we accept him as a patient? You know, yada, yada. And she said, Deb, do you know how much money we would have lost if we hadn't admitted that patient, if we'd sent him somewhere else? And I resigned from my bedside nursing position at the end of that statement. It became abundantly clear to me that hospital administrators, those in leadership in hospitals and health systems, were more focused on the money than they were on people's lives. And that's not what I signed up for when I decided to become a nurse. I, I feel like I was born to be in medicine, right? From the time I could walk and talk, I knew I was going to be in medicine because I want to help people. I want to take care of people. And most bedside nurses and physicians and pharmacists and physical therapists and all of the ifs that are involved in healthcare want to take care of patients. Unfortunately, there's a business behind healthcare, and when you start mixing money and care, it gets really messy really fast. And unfortunately, from what I've seen, the more emotional the issue is, so pediatrics cases, oncology cases, the price gouging that happens in those circumstances um, ought to be illegal. And I think if anybody really um, dove into it, they would be horrified, number one, and number two, would be clamoring 
for people to be going to jail for price gouging. Now, you're you're absolutely right. It is amazing. Uh, those of us who have dug into it, and I know you've dug a whole lot deeper uh, than folks such as myself, it is appalling. It is absolutely amazing. And still with the uh, the fallacy that we can say right now about the transparency that hospitals are now required to, but most of them don't follow it, and even those that do are following it <laughs> to the minimum amount they possibly can, it's still an absolutely uh, crazy thing. Hey, we are going to go to a break right now. You guys hold on. Uh, when we get back, we're going to dig deeper into this because, man, we have just barely scratched the surface. We have two incredible folks with us today. They are truly giants in the industry. Nelson Griswold and Deb Alt, lovingly known as Nurse Deb, making huge impacts in the health care industry because once again folks i've told you this a thousand times don't get health insurance and health care confused they are not the same thing no matter what we've been told our entire lives we are providing you access to true health care nelson you've been on this path for a long time buddy uh, you've been all the way from legislative to now working at the grassroots foundation tell us a little bit about your background buddy well, my, my first career was in public policy, and uh, I, I ran a couple of public policy think tanks, uh, worked, uh, worked at the legislature as a lobbyist on behalf of free market, limited government uh, initiatives, and in 92 had the pleasure of, of being part of the national uh, alliance that fought uh, what was known as Hillary Care. This was Hillary Clinton's uh, attempt to nationalize uh, our health care system. We we won that one, uh, but the the problem is the health care system we have, as you have have so uh, well articulated, Harlan, doesn't work very well. It's it's a quasi private system, but uh, about half of the about half of the uh, people in our healthcare system are funded by government dollars, taxpayer dollars. Government right. doesn't have any money; it's taxpayer dollars. <laughs> uh, but half of the of the people in this country get their healthcare through their employer, and that's where the opportunity lies uh, for for the United States to reform healthcare and preserve the private healthcare system in a form that we all like and that actually works for us. And it's very interesting that you that you brought that up. I was asked a question very directly this morning, and that question was, do I believe that at some point in time in the future that we will have government-run health care? And my answer, I think, surprised the people that asked me this question because my answer was, we already do. Uh, the government has their hand in pretty much everything. There's regulations for all of it. And if you look at uh, the... The big insurance companies, uh, I'll just use the biggest one for an example, and that's United Healthcare. If you look at their last 10 years of growth, 99.3% of their growth has all been due to government funded healthcare plans. Uh, so that tells you that we're already there. But what they really were asking is are we going to go to a single payer system? And the answer, unfortunately, is we will unless the employers do something about that. Uh, you once told me a very interesting line about how expensive health insurance is now and what it would look like, or how health care is now, and what it would look like if the government took over. Can you repeat that for me, buddy? 
I can. This was a this was a line actually from a uh, a brilliant writer uh, who uh, wrote for Rolling Stone magazine, but he was he was very libertarian uh, uh, guy, and he said, "If you think healthcare is expensive now, just wait until it's free." <laughs> And it's absolutely right. And in fact, if you look around at government-run systems, we don't need to talk about that because I think pretty much everybody listening uh, understands that you know the government can't run anything very well, right. and it would simply run our health care into the ground. But the British National Health Services, the NHS, which is the, the crown jewel of, of England's um, government-run health care system, is imploding. It, it doesn't have resources. It can't handle the demand. Uh, for health care. Government-run health care just isn't what anyone wants. And, and, and yet we all look to the government to fix health care. And they can't fix health care. The only solution, as you, as you alluded to, is if the private sector, that is employers, who control the checkbook that pays for the health care for their employees, if those CEOs, CFOs, business owners uh, enlightened HR professionals, if they will step up and take control of health care, which they can, even though the insurance companies and the big brokers tell employers, oh, there is no way to control the cost of health care, it's just a flat-out lie. Deb Alt will testify to it. She, she, uh, her company directly reduces the cost of health care while improving the quality of care. Uh, but, but that's the solution to, to our health care problem. If we can ramp it up fast enough, to, to beat out single payer. Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren and others uh, on that side of the aisle are chomping at the bit to take over uh, one-eighth of our industry, uh, of, of our economy, one-eighth of our economy, which is, uh, which is health care. So we've got, to, we've got to activate the private sector, business owners and CEOs, CFOs, to step up and retake control of the health care and in their company, and then we can ensure quality care and lower costs. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting to me that there are so many companies out there right now, and we see it every single day, laying off employees. And they're laying them off because, obviously, of financial situations that are going on. And I won't say in every single case, but I would say in almost every case, there would have been a way to save those jobs by really looking at what their health care spend is and looking at better ways to manage that. In most cases, companies don't even consider that. As you had mentioned, they don't even consider that a controllable cost when it is truly, absolutely 100% a controllable cost. Uh, sometimes that means that you have to do something that is a little bit difficult. And I'm going to talk to Nurse Deb about this now because a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at a very interesting survey that said employees felt like their health care provider, so their health insurance company in this, in this case, 62% of them said that health insurance company determined whether or not they had a good health care experience. Let me say that again. 62% of employees said that their health insurance company decided whether they had a good health care experience okay but then they hmm. turn right around and almost 70 percent said they could not even trust their insurance company to be sure that their doctor was in network <laughs> what 
Welcome to Healthcare in America, right? <laughs> it's like saying, um, I love my car because I have State Farm Auto Insurance. It makes absolutely no sense. I'll tell you the thing that is going to be necessary. We have to figure out this fee-for-service system because it makes no sense that you go to a surgeon, you get a surgical intervention, they do an okay job, you contract a post-op infection, and then that surgeon gets paid more because you keep going back to the surgeon to get the complication treated. That makes no sense, right? So when people talk about quality and cost of care in, in America, we as Americans think Bentley dollars, Bentley quality. You go dollars, you go quality. The exact opposite is true in healthcare. The highest quality providers do that procedure or service in bulk. They're more practiced at it. They are more efficient and effective at doing it. They buy all of the supplies needed to provide that procedure or service below wholesale acquisition costs because they're buying so much of it, basic supply chain management stuff. If you go to the highest quality doctor and get your problem healed immediately, it's less expensive. And that's what American consumers have such a hard time wrapping their head around. Well, it's because we haven't had that. You know, what most employees have had is that no-limit credit card. They've had that no-limit Blue Cross, Humana, Aetna, you know, whatever. They've had that card. And, yeah, maybe they had to reach a deductible. But once they did, it didn't matter what they spent. So it didn't matter what they spent. (laughs) And that is the wrong mentality because you don't even know – about which kind of doctor you have. So talk a little bit about that because there is no there's no um, limit to a doctor. If a doctor wants to be in the network with one of the big insurance companies, what do they have to go through, nurse? Deb? Credentialing. Mm-hmm. So they have to provide a copy of their license to practice. Um, there's some very cursory kind of checks and balances. Um, but the most important part generally when a facility or a doctor's office is negotiating to get into the network is how deep of a discount are they willing to give. The, the challenge is discount off of what, right? right. If they hyperinflate the charge master, I'm working right now on a chemotherapy case where the facility, now this is a Methodist hospital, right? So it's supposed to be a different level of ethics based on their religious affiliation, They want to charge this poor patient and their health plan, which is sponsored by their employer, $3.6 million for her 12 rounds of chemotherapy. Now, we looked at the Micromedx Red Book, which essentially is the Kelly Blue Book, but for drugs. The wholesale acquisition cost of that medication, (laughs) $57,349. Tell me how it's okay for somebody to charge $3.6 million for $57,000 worth of drugs. The American worker, the people that we interact with, the people that we are, who are going into their job every day, have been getting pay raises for the last 10 to 15 years. They just haven't shown up in their paycheck because that pay raise has gone for higher premiums for their health insurance coverage. And that's ridiculous. 
It absolutely is. And if someone were to look at that chart, I mean, go out there and, and Google it, folks. Look at what the cost of health care and the cost of insurance premiums have done versus the increase in salary or in compensation, whatever, however you want to say it, for the American worker. It's, it will shock you. It, it will be one of those things that will make you feel sick to your stomach, and you will then understand why you can see over the last 15 years in particular such a huge increase in the stock prices of all your major insurance companies. We are extremely excited to have Deborah Alt, president of Alt International Medical Management and Nelson Griswold, managing director of NextGen Benefits with us as we discuss how to fix health care in this great nation. It is very interesting to me, uh, Nelson brought it up a few minutes ago, how other countries that are supposed to be the model of single payer are really having difficulties. But one of the things I want to point out to you guys is while we do have, without a doubt, health care issues in this country, we are still the best country in the world to receive health care. If you don't believe that, then we then there's over 200,000 people a year that will disagree with you as they come to the United States to receive health care. The interesting thing about it is over 90% of those are from a country with a single payer system that tells you they're still coming here where there is somewhat of a free market because typically if you're doing medical tourism you're getting a better deal than you would have in your own country nelson as you have moved forward i know you've been doing the next gen thing for a number of years now as we have been able to convince more and more employers just to have this conversation what have you seen as their I won't say reaction, but as their their change in attitude towards these concepts. Well, first, we have to understand that employers, companies that that have employees and offer health care to their employees, years ago, those executives and owners delegated control of what is now their second or third largest operating expense, healthcare, they delegated it to a line manager in HR because they believed they had no control over the, the quality and cost of care. And if you're a smart business owner or executive, the last thing you want to do is spend time on something that you can't affect, that you have no control over. So they delegated to HR. The problem is that is what I call healthcare's big lie that there is no way to control the, the quality and cost of health care. It is a lie, absolutely untrue. And as employers begin to understand, and this is an education process, Harlan, uh, it, it, as they understand, and maybe they talk to a colleague, uh, another business, another executive who has taken control of their health care, uh, and they, they start to wonder, wait, is that actually possible? What we're seeing, when, when they understand that they've been sold a bill of goods by the insurance companies and the big brokerage houses, because it's not in the interest of the insurance company to have employers, business owners and executives, lowering the cost of health care. Because the way, the way that the, remember Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, 
it actually limited the profit margins of the insurance companies. The only way they can make more profit is to raise their revenues. Their revenues are largely insurance premiums that companies pay. So the only way, and the only way to justify raising those premiums is to let healthcare costs go up. So the insurance companies are actually totally misaligned with employers when an employer understands that. So when, when we ask the question of an employer, and then Arlen, I'll, you, you are an employer, let me just ask you, Harlan, um, if, if one of the insurance companies uh, notices that healthcare costs are going down this year, are they going to make more money or less money? Yeah, the first thought is they're going to make they're going to make more, right? But <laughs> exactly, they're, they're, because they're paying less out for health care, therefore that means they're keeping more of the premiums they've taken in. It's just the opposite. Right? They will make less because when the cost of health care goes down, they have to reduce what they charge companies for that insurance because look, health insurance pays for health care, and if health care costs go up, you've got to raise the premiums. The cost of the insurance. If health care costs go down, well, you need to lower the cost of the insurance that pays for that health care. When employers understand that the deck is stacked against them, that the health insurance companies are operating on a misaligned set of incentives where the employer wants health care costs to be as low as possible, the insurance company wants them to be as high as possible. When employers understand that, when smart executives, business owners understand that, they go, wait a second, what can we do differently? And this is where alternative funding of the health care plan, in other words, getting the insurance company out, because they, if they're opposed to your incentives, if they're opposed to your goals, you don't want them anywhere near your health care plan. But then you have to replace that with something, right? You can't be something with nothing. Right. And so you look to what we call alternative funding mechanisms that allow the employer to fund that health care at no more risk than when they were fully insured by the insurance company. When employers understand they can do that and that they can start managing what we call the supply chain of health care, but really managing the cost and quality of the health care their employees need to purchase, when they understand they have that control, they get pretty excited. And yeah. they take control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason that employers in particular have been so hesitant to to do things is because everything to do with the health insurance company, you know, the whether it's the processing of claims, the 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 limited medical management, as it were, although there's definitely is some if you've ever had an HMO, you know that there's medical management in there, even if it's not for your benefit. Uh Whatever it looks like has always been so closed, close to the vest for those insurance companies without the sharing of any data with the employer. When that happens, that gives them, once again, that fallacy, that big lie that there's nothing I can do about this. There's nothing I can see there. They don't realize that what we do as next-gen advisors is we build you a supply chain that is based on what your needs are. And we're sitting on the same side of the table as you instead of across the table from you like the big brokerage houses and, of course, the insurance companies themselves. So, Nurse Deb, whenever we start talking about supply chain, 
One of the primary places that can make a huge impact, of course, well, you know, there's there's prescription drugs that are a, a lot of times one of the biggest, biggest cost. But medical management, and by medical management, that doesn't mean we're not going to let you go do anything. It doesn't mean that we're going to treat it like an HMO to where, you know, we're going to keep you tagging along for months at a time, hoping that maybe you'll go have that uh, done somewhere else. We're talking about true direction to quality health care. How does that actually save someone money? Oh, in multiple, multiple ways. Understand that true medical management makes sure that the right patient is getting the right care, that it's happening at the right time, in the right place, for the right price. So right care is based on evidence-based clinical criteria, the actual science behind what works and doesn't work for that particular patient's condition. Where do the benefits of that procedure or service outweigh the risks associated with that procedure or service? We've got a real challenge here in the United States. We got rid of pharmacist gag orders, thank God, but over 70% of doctor's offices are now owned by hospitals or health systems, which means their employer may impose a gag order on a doctor. So perfect example. In general, I'm not a huge fan of robotic surgery, but let's say you need to have a radical nephrectomy where they're taking out your kidney. You need to have that done robotically. That's the best way, the best surgical approach to have that particular procedure. What if the doctor that you chose is an employee of a hospital or health system that doesn't own a robot? Is he going to be allowed to tell you, hey, go across town to our competitor or go to the next town over because there's a higher quality way to get this done? No, he's not going to be allowed to do that. When you have a patient advocacy-based medical management firm focusing on the right care, you get people healthier faster. Healthier people file fewer claims. Just like steering people to the highest quality facility, the highest quality doctor, right? You get them healthier faster. It's all about how do we get this person what they need, not necessarily what somebody's willing to do. The old adage to hammer everything looks like a nail, right? If you go to a surgeon, he's going to recommend surgery. Is a surgeon where you should be going? And is that surgeon super high quality, right? So there's a lot to consider, and it's hard for an individual patient because there is no single consumer reports of health care. They can't just go Google who's the best guy to take out my kid's tonsils. It's, it's complicated. There's no single source of truth for patients. Even my nurses, we use 40 different objective quality and cost transparency tools, right? It, it's, it's complicated to get to that information. So true medical management, though, would be helping that patient to navigate both the health plan system What's covered? What's not covered? I had one the other day. Patient really wants to go on a GLP-1 drug for weight loss. Her plan doesn't cover it. All kinds of patient assistance programs she can get it for. Grants, foundations, community resources. Had another one. Patient really needs a mammogram. Doesn't have any health insurance, right? She's using a primary care doctor, paying out of pocket for that. Needs a mammogram. Can't afford the mammogram. Well, there's a free mobile mammography unit coming up in her community sponsored by the American Cancer Society. So there's always a way to help a patient find what they need in a way that they can afford it. 
it's just not easy to do. No, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of what we do is about doing the hard thing. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's the easy thing to do is say, Mr. Employer, it looks like this Blue Cross plan is going to be the best thing for you because the prices came. That, that's the easy thing to do. That's what the big brokerage houses do. That's what the, the brokers that are more concerned about a commission do. They do the easy thing because that doesn't take much time and they get paid a heck of a lot of money to do it. But really advocating for the employer, really mm-hmm. doing the best thing for the employees, that's what we're doing now. That is, that's what you guys have been doing. That's what Eagle Care has been doing. But getting to these bigger employers, that's where we're really going to make the impact. And I really do applaud both of you for doing that. All right, we're going to go to our last break. And when we come back, there are some startling numbers about how many times people are misdiagnosed. Nelson's going to share that with you when we come back. We are super, super blessed to have Deborah Alt, the president of Alt International Medical Management, and Nelson Griswold, managing director of NextGen Benefits, with us today. Folks, we keep saying that the healthcare marketplace out there is broken. The problem is the way it's being accessed, our lack of access. We have answers. You can really dig deep into this. If you haven't been able to listen to the whole show, uh, please go back afterwards and listen to the podcast of it because you'll really get some great information. If you're a CEO, a CFO, a COO, a top-level HR, a business owner, or someone who makes major decisions for your company, you need to hear this information. One of the more shocking things that I learned from Mr. Nelson Griswold Uh, was how many misdiagnoses there are out there. Uh, Whenever I was going through a session at one of his conferences, it blew me away because it wasn't that many years ago that most major insurance companies required second opinions for procedures, especially for major procedures. But there's virtually none that require that anymore. So as a result... There are tons of misdiagnosis. There are tons of surgeries that were never, it should have never even happened because they weren't even necessary. Can you share a little bit with that about that, Nelson? It's actually terrifying. It really is. For someone who has to go into the healthcare system. So, first of all, around, oh gosh, let's see. 12 million Americans experience a medical misdiagnosis. So this is all this is all documented data. I'm not making this up. Right. If anybody's interested in the sources, uh, they can contact you. I'll be happy to give them the information. But 12 million Americans, and half of those medical errors are potentially harmful. Uh, there are about as many as 80,000 deaths in U.S. hospitals annually due to misdiagnosis. But let me give you some, some specific examples. 30% of cancer diagnoses are wrong. 30%. Spinal surgery is inappropriate 55% of the time. Mm. And you, you said it. This is 55% of people who get spine surgeries shouldn't have had that surgery. And when you're talking about surgery, you're talking about massive trauma on the human body. They are slicing you open. And, and making adjustments to parts of you inside. This is nothing that you want to have happen uh, if 
if, in fact, you don't need it, bypass surgery. So those of us of a certain age probably know a lot of people who've had bypass surgery. It's incredibly common. Well, so is the misdiagnosis of bypass surgery. Sixty percent of bypass surgery is ill-advised. It is misdiagnosed. shouldn't happen. Uh, and, and, and the fact is, if you're a business owner paying for your employee's health care, the most expensive medical claim is the one that should never have happened. Let me give you last just a couple of quick statistics here. Mayo Clinic, which is one of the premier medical centers in the world, basically does second opinions. Very few people go to Mayo Clinic regularly for their health care. They go when they've had a serious diagnosis at home. Their doctor at home, their cardiologist, their oncologist, somebody, some specialist has said, you, you've got a serious health problem. They go to Mayo Clinic to get the best care. Well, Mayo realized that we're doing second opinions here. We get the original opinion from the, from the first doctor, and then we look at it and decide, is it totally correct? Is it, is it wrong in some areas? Or is it totally wrong? So they did a study, Harlan, of the second opinions that they saw over a substantial period of time. This was published in what's known as a peer-reviewed medical journal. In other words, people looked at this research to make sure it was correct, and they confirmed it was. What they found is shocking. Of all of the diagnoses that they saw from the original doctor, the, the, the percentage that they found to be totally correct was 12%. Barely over one in ten. Oh, my gosh. In other words, no change is required. The doctor is absolutely correct on what's wrong and how to fix it, how to, how to treat it. But what's even more shocking is the percentage of diagnoses that they found totally wrong. You don't have cancer. Or worse than that, you don't have that kind of cancer. And so you're going to get the wrong kind of cancer treated, which isn't going to do you any good. Or you don't need to get your chest cracked open. You don't need open-heart surgery. Totally wrong. 21%. This is one in five. Wow. Now, the solution to that is second opinions. To your point, how many insurance companies require second opinions on serious, on serious diagnoses? Zero. Not one. Requires the easiest least expensive way to confirm that your doctor's right, that this is your problem and this is how it should be treated. It's, it's remarkable and it's frightening. It, it really is. And, and you would think, okay, well, why would that be? Well, now we're going to go back to what we talked about earlier, because if you get the wrong surgery or you get the wrong treatment, that means you need to get additional treatments. And that means we got to spend more on health care. And now we have some more justification to raise our premiums. Yay. Look at us. We're doing such a good job. Uh, it, it, it is amazing that something as fundamental as a second opinion is not mandatory on any type of major and it doesn't even have to be major, but may, specifically something major. I, I mean, I can tell you right now, there's just zero chance that I'm not getting a second opinion if somebody tells me there's something major wrong. Uh, I just know better. And you would think most people would do that. The problem is too many people trust their doctor that their friends, girlfriends, brothers, dad recommended uh, because – after that third surgery that the guy gave uh, his ex-wife, she was just fine. <laughs> and, you know, that's the, that's the crazy. 
uh, part of it is you do hear those stories where someone had to be taken care of by this doctor two or three times, but when he finally got it right, man, they sure were happy after that. <laughs> Come on, really? Uh, Nurse Dave, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know for sure what your answer is going to be, but I think I do. A lot of folks want to stay in a major hospital system. You you mentioned Methodist earlier. Methodist and Memorial Hermann are big here in the Houston area. Uh, but if you had a choice of going to a major hospital chain or going to an independent doctor-surgeon-owned surgery center, which would you choose for your own care? Depends on what kind of surgery I'm having. Okay. If I'm having an open brain surgery probably a major medical center, not an ambulatory surgery center. And that's the big failing of a lot of insurances. They have non-clinicians guiding patients, and they are not clinically capable of doing that. Remember I said right care at the right time in the right place? Right. If I'm having a knee replacement, absolutely I want to go to an ambulatory surgery center that's owned by independent physicians. It's going to be more efficient. It's going to be more effective. It's going to have better outcomes clinically. It's going to be less expensive. You know, it checks all the boxes, but it depends on what the medical procedure is. They're going in through my nose to get to the inner recesses of my brain to get at a pituitary tumor. That's not going to happen in an ambulatory surgery center. Conversely, People want to think, oh, a colonoscopy, it's simple, it's routine. Every patient should have it in an ambulatory surgery center, including hemophiliacs. Mm. No, right. you don't want a hemophiliac having a colonoscopy in an ambulatory surgery center, right? So it depends on the procedure service, Harlan. Yeah, and it all, I would also go back to what you just said. It depends on the patient, right? Because now what is the difference uh, between uh, you know somebody with no preexisting conditions like hemophilia and someone who does, the, faci- the facility that they go to for the same procedure will be a very different procedure because you have to have one place that is equipped for any type of complications that may arise where the other one is not. Correct. It's kind of like what you talked about when we first started the show, where y- when you were a bedside nurse, y'all, for, for a reason none other than money, there was a patient at your facility that they refused to send somewhere somewhere else. He was not in the right place. Right. And it's critical. Yeah. It, it, it's the central factor behind a patient recovering or dying. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, Nelson, we got a couple more minutes left. Any final thoughts that you want to tell any of those business owners out there? I do. Thank you. And this has been fantastic. Thanks for having us on, Harlan. And thanks for all that you do, spreading the word about alternatives to the, to the status quo system. The, I want to leave business owners and executives who are listening with a, a, a taste of what they could have, what's possible. Uh, how about this? The employees know before they have their procedure how much it's going to cost. Not, not after, before. They're able to access the highest quality area of physicians and providers, doctors and hospitals in their area. They know who they are. They know who the best. They know who the worst are. They're able to get their care at zero out of pocket. They pay their premium every month. But when they need health care, they no deductible, no coinsurance. Their health care is free. Now, the employer's listening going, yeah, what's that going to cost me? <laughs> uh Using the types of next-gen benefits plans that, that we 
and these aren't plans you can go buy. These are the concepts. This is a model. But plans based on this model save the employer in the first year alone around $2,000 per employee per year. So you have 100, 100 employees, that's $200,000 that goes back on your balance sheet while you're giving your employees better health care at zero out of pocket for them. That's what's possible. That's why they should be talking to next-gen advisors like you, Harlan, about about their health care. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the only way we're going to keep that single-payer system out. Nurse Deb, you got anything to final to say? Well, Harlan, thank you so much for having me. I would just tell people, stay healthy. Um, begin looking at these strategies that give you access to objective factual information, and always, always, always consult an expert for every health issue, especially if it's a serious one. Absolutely. Hey, I really appreciate both of you being on here today. You guys absolutely rock. Folks, if any of this struck a chord, reach out. Love to have a conversation with you. EagleCare.com is where you can find us. It's time to make that change. Let's do it. Harlan Pickett, Health and Well Power Hour. We are out.